what's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1010 Podcast. In a second, we're going to be joined by our good friend, Lance Witt. Uh, you can check Lance out at replenish.net. He's an author, a speaker, and he lives in the soul care, helping pastors, people stay healthy in ministry. He's a great friend and a great asset to the kingdom. So check him out. Uh, he's also got a ton of amazing books on Amazon. But before we jump into the interview with Lance, I want to tell you about something coming up with 1010, uh, because we we would really appreciate your prayers. At the end of February, we are starting with a new group of 30 pastors in ministry. So if you could, uh, if you think about it at the end of February, starting February 27th, we are going to have 30 pastors in a remote location um, and having some very intentional conversations about their spiritual health, relational health, mental health, and spiritual health. And so if you would keep them in your prayers, that would be absolutely amazing. And as always, you can go to 1010project.com to get more information about upcoming projects, upcoming uh, retreats, and all the different things that we do. But without further ado, here's our interview with our good friend, Lance Witt. Everybody, I am joined with a friend of mine that I met years ago on a ski trip in Colorado, and we were all there. We didn't know what we were getting into. I think we were with One Child Matters, um, yeah. and we're joined by a, a friend of ours named Lance Witt, who runs a ministry called Replenish uh, that is all about helping pastors and people stay healthy in ministry. And so when I was thinking about people I wanted to interview for the podcast, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I've read your book. I'm getting ready to start actually reading it again um, because I'm going to steal a bunch of your ideas and make them sound like my own, you know? <laughs> And so, perfect. And That's so, exactly what I did. <laughs> so, I just wanted to take some time with Lance because I know he has so much to offer, and he's been in this pastor care space for such a long time. And really wanted to ask him some questions so that we could all learn from him. But before we get into like me just asking you a ton of questions, Lance, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about Replenish. Yeah, so um, I started in ministry really young. Uh, I my first senior pastor job was when I was twenty three. Good um, Lord, still can't believe they actually let me pastor a church at that age. I feel like I should go back and apologize to all of them. But I was a lead pastor for twenty years. Then in nineteen ninety nine, uh, long story, but invited to join the staff at Saddleback Church with Rick Warren. I was yep. there in those years. He wrote Purpose Driven Life, which was a complete game changer. For him and for all of us around him, I always tell people, Josh, it was the most intoxicating and toxic season all at the same time. Ex explain that. Explain a, that a little bit. Well, it was a ministry rocket ride of influence, right? Yeah. Just, I mean, opportunity everywhere. Um, the world is looking to Rick and he sort of became this global celebrity and churches yeah. are looking to Saddleback and you know, um, we did Purpose Driven Life for as a campaign, and that was a huge, uh, overwhelming success, but it brought with it a ton of chaos. And so the, the pace was out of control, the pressure, just the chaos in the environment. And we were all trying to do the best we could, yeah. but we got a hold of something that was way beyond any of us. And so I, I finally just came to a point where I, I knew I wasn't doing well. There were some things in the culture that were really bothering me. Yeah. Over about six months, Rick and I had four pretty lengthy conversations together. And again, a much longer story made real short is yeah. 
I had this moment when I knew that I just couldn't stay and that I had to, to step away. I didn't have another place to go, another job, another ministry. And um, honestly, here I am, 46, confused, uh, pretty discouraged. Like, what am I going to do in this season of my life? And God just met me one day and said, I want you to help leaders be healthy, holy, and humble. Oh, and wow. I didn't know what that meant at the time. I just knew like I could give my life to that. And I knew the place to start was my own soul yeah. because I, my soul was empty, drained, and I knew I had to bring my own soul back to life before I could help others. And so that began a journey for me in late 2006 and replenish was birthed out of that. And so I've been doing replenish now for gosh, going on 16, 17 years. Yeah. And, um, uh, so replenish kind of the mantra I use is we want to help people live and lead from a healthy soul. Yeah. And I think the order of that statement is really important because for so long, all of my energy had gone to my leadership and not really to how I was living as a person. Yeah. And you know, I, I'll often talk about you were made a person before you were made a pastor. And I had to get in touch with that myself and so over these last few years, I come alongside pastors and teams and churches to try to help them not pay attention to their sermons or their small groups or kids ministry, but like, how are they actually doing life themselves? And are they in a place where they can lead out of the overflow of a really rich, amazing walk with God? So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I try to do. So this is, you actually kind of led into my, my second question was you said that you had to figure out how to be healthy yourself first before you knew that you could lead other people. What, what did that look like for you when you came to that place of like, man, I'm, I'm not doing okay. What were some things that you did kind of practically besides stepping away from Saddleback? And if you weren't meeting in Rick Warren's library, I mean, I just don't even, that thing is (laughs) It's un, that's like Narnia. I mean, um, it's, it's like a, a one of a kind, uh, divine mystery, man. It's, it's it, unbelievable. Brother, when he took me in there and showed me Charles Spurgeon's lectern that he has that he yeah. used to preach from, I went, okay, yep. Rick's on a different level than us, yeah, but what did it look? <laughs> it's unreal. But what did that look like for you? How did you, how did you stay healthy? Well, I'd say first off, I didn't know what I was doing or how to be healthy. I think when you get unhealthy, it takes a while to sort of unravel and diagnose like what's really going on. And I tried initially by trying to change my pace and, you know, rearrange my schedule and work smarter, not harder. And all those, all the key phrases. Yeah, I was out from underneath a lot of the pressure. So that helped. But I think what began for me was a several year journey, especially around slowing down enough to actually learn to become more self-aware and go internal about some of the things that were deeply broken in me. And now I'm able to articulate it like this internal script that I've carried for my whole life really goes like this. Work hard, be responsible, achieve. That's how you succeed. And that's how you get loved. Yeah. when that is the script that you constantly have in your head, yep. you're driven, you're only as good as your latest achievement, you're obsessed with success. And so beginning to unpack some of that and begin to understand um, how that played out in my leadership, as a, in my team, with my church, all of that 
began to be huge. And so then I think I could begin to add in some of the more external things, but Mm. there was some hard internal rewiring that God had to do to slow me down, to be reflective. And one of the quotes I love is, self-awareness is your best defense against self-deceit. And I think a lot of leaders, their lid is their lack of self-awareness. And so for me, growing in that self-awareness, I think began to bring greater health into my life, into all my different life domains. So was there anything that you did like, so when you said, you know, I say the Enneagram, you know, three in me is if I'm not winning, I'm sinning. That's kind of like, I grew up the same type of way, the same mentality. And then what's so funny is like, we, we grow up and then we place that upon God. Right. So like, God's not happy with me. If I'm not crushing it, if I do something wrong, God's not pleased with me. So we can kind of live in that. Was there something practical you did that kind of helped you walk out of that season? Or do you feel like it was really like, no, man, I just got alone with the Holy Spirit and God over time worked with me. Like I did a ton of counseling and I'm still in counseling. They still can't fix me, Lance, but they're trying and I'm paying them to. But was there anything that you did, you know, specifically for that? I would say I just went to school on my own soul and I just began to read everything I could get my hands on around my inner life and slowing down my soul and learning to listen to like, and to ask the why question. I remember one day, I'll give you a good example of this. So one day I'm messing with my calendar, trying to, as always, pack way too much in and rearrange things. And it was like in this moment, the Holy Spirit just took the spotlight off my calendar, put it on my soul and began to ask, so Lance, why are you so driven? Why are you, why do you feel the need to be compulsively busy? Why can you never say no to any opportunity? Like, what is that about? And so beginning to pay attention to some of those questions and actually naming what was broken and understanding like my family of origin and genogram issues. Yeah. Those began to bring some liberation and freedom in me, but it certainly didn't happen in one Holy Spirit moment. It's been years. And I think because of how I'm wired, it'll probably always be a challenge, but I'm much more able to recognize the triggers, identify what is going on and headed off at the pass and not let the toxicity leak out on everybody around me like I used to. Right. Yeah. 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 I I think just becoming a student of your own inner life was kind of the key that was the breakthrough. Okay. Do you, I mean, I can remember when I was pastoring in Orlando, we were just kind of talking about it before we started recording. Like I remember there's a season that I got unhealthy. And then one of the things you realize if you're wired that way, it's, you know, your church doesn't just plateau. Your church is plateauing because you must not be doing something right. And if you could figure out how to do something and then you start pushing everybody. And so I had to go back to so many of my staff after we had left and been like, Hey, I was a jerk. And I'm really sorry. And that had to do a lot more with me and stuff that I didn't even know that was in me that I was like putting on everybody else, because really it was an identity piece that I hadn't worked through uh, in my own story, which is always fun when the Lord reveals it that way. And then you got to go back and apologize. (laughs) And, And if we're really honest as church leaders, we would have to acknowledge that we just poured gasoline 
on that fuel of unhealthy ambition, right? Like that's, when you go to a church conference, that's what we celebrate. Everything's up and to the right. And by the yep. way, that is the sign of God's blessing. And I feel like we've set up a couple of thousand pastors to really struggle with pride, but we've set up a few hundred thousand pastors to struggle with failure yeah. and inadequacy. And, I, I, and again, I it's because we've, we've, we've kind of made idolized leadership and growth and expansion. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So you were talking about the season that you were at Saddleback, you got unhealthy, you knew you were healthy. How long, so how long have you been married? Uh, we're going on 45 years this year. Okay. So I'm sure that there were a lot of things during that season and just in all the ministry experience you've had in however many years you've been in ministry, which has been a lot is how did you continue to fight for a healthy marriage? Because one of the things that that I see, you know, working right now with younger pastors is a lot of times they're so focused on building the ministry or they're so f- focused on building, you know, their platform, which you kind of hate to say it that way, that their, their marriage kind of takes a back seat to some of that stuff. Um, what are some things that you did to to continue to have a healthy marriage that lasts almost 45 years, which is incredible, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and I would say our marriage wasn't very healthy in those days because yeah. Connie, I think like a, I almost wore, you know, neglecting my family and neglecting our marriage as sort of a badge of honor because I was doing it for Jesus and for the church church and always said no to the family or not always, but a lot of times said no to the family to say yes to ministry. And then all of a sudden I'm out of the saddleback and, and I don't have a job. So I'm kind of hustling to try to make ends meet and I'm traveling, consulting, speaking, doing all kinds of projects. Mm -hmm. And she's at home by herself. And I think one of the, and our kids had both gotten married recently. So we're empty nesters. And I think one of the things that we realized is that her identity was way more enmeshed in being a pastor's wife than what either of us realized. And so she went into the darkest depression of her life. And I remember a few times coming home from being on the road and getting there and she would just kind of be curled up on the couch, hadn't done anything all day, just in this dark hole. And I remember one of the turning points of our marriage still makes me emotional to think about this. But just looking at her and saying, whatever we have to do to make sure you're okay and we're okay, I'm willing to do this. And I just committed to her, like, you've been a cheerleader for the biggest part of our marriage. And I'm committed that from this day forward, I will be your biggest cheerleader. Whatever it takes for you to flourish as an individual I'm going to make sure that I give my best energy to that, that you're not going to just get the leftovers. And, and I haven't done that perfectly since then, but man, it was a major turning point. And I think me being a champion for who she is and her feeling like my highest ambition is no longer to build something out there, but to actually build our marriage I think has communicated volumes to her. And, you know, it'd be naive to say we don't still struggle and don't have our fights and problems, but man, it's, it's rich. And I would say we are in the absolute richest season of our marriage right now. Um, And that was just a big turning point for us. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. I remember, you know, when we left Orlando, it was, it was a weird season. My wife was on staff also kind of pastor's wife thing. And 
I had to go and there's a lot of my life that I feel like is repenting to people. I don't know if that's a good, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good sign or not. Um, but we were living, you know, we live in Atlanta and I had to sit with my wife and God showed me like, I really put the church before her and, yeah. and not only did, and this is the, the, one of the things that I am, um, and this makes me emotional, uh, most ashamed about in my ministry journey, um, is that I allowed certain people to make me think that my wife was a hindrance to God's call on me. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, and I had to sit with her and really repent to her and just say, first of all, I'm an idiot. And you're the best thing that's ever happened to me that you even put up with me is, you know, amazing. Um, but man, I, I see it so much with guys that, that, and I don't even think they know it in the, in the midst of it. Right. It's like almost God has to use some pain to reveal some things in you that you don't realize are in you. And, um, and so thank you for sharing that and being transparent with it. So, you know, I know you work with a lot of pastors, um, and you and I and 1010 and replenish were kind of in the same space and, and we love what you do and want to partner with you, but what are you seeing right now? a lot in the church world and, and working with pastors and kind of a two part, what are you hopeful for and where do you have some concerns? Hmm. Um, I'm hopeful that some of the bells and whistles have been stripped away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of what I think, you know, COVID revealed on the dark side, just how immature the body of Christ really is. Yeah. And that we haven't done a great job of discipling people who have a kind of soft, loving, biblical worldview. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it revealed, but it also revealed how much as a church, we had really had a metric of success that was about how many people we could gather and how, you know, how big our thing was and yeah. how big, you know, the ministry was. And so I think, you know, um, it's stripped away in a very helpful way, some of those trappings. But um, I think, it, you know, what I've also noticed is I feel like that most pastors like uh, have just rebounded right back to where they were. And not much has fundamentally really changed about how we're doing church or ministry. Although everybody was saying, man, it can never be the same after COVID. It's all <laughs> It's all got to be different, um, you know. So I think that's the thing. I think what I'm hopeful for in one way is that the topic of soul care has yeah. become more front and center in conversations. Now, I, I here's my concern with that. I feel like, and it took me years to really kind of wrestle through this in my own spirit, but I think finally I'm at this place where I understand now like this whole topic of soul care it's really the operating system for my life yeah. and it informs everything I do as opposed to viewing it as an app that I download mm -hmm. onto my busy home screen of a life. And it's just one more thing I've added. And I, yeah. I think what pastors will discover if they will stay with this soul care journey yep. is they'll discover that the real life is beginning to see it as an operating system. Yeah. And that, but that takes a long time in my experience, because yeah. I had such a strong paradigm of how you do leadership and how you do church. And it's been, it's taken years for God to sort of rewire all that. And it's still yeah. being rewired. But, yep. Um, I tell people all the time, people, when we moved to Atlanta, um, I had so many people ask me, they go, Hey, are you going to, are you going to start another church? 
Like, that's what you do. You're a church planner. You know how to start churches. And I said, um, I don't think I'm going to, cause I don't think I can do it and stay healthy. And they're like, well, yeah, they go, you could do it different. And I go, yeah, but there's so much stuff that's like, and it's not all bad, right? You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but there's so much stuff that's ingrained in me that I know that my default will be to the things that I, that are ingrained in me in the way that I was taught, um, which like I said, aren't all bad. And then the other thing for a guy who is like, we were talking about earlier, you know, if you're not, if you're not winning, you're sending type deal. A church gives you a very easy scoreboard to feel like you're a success sometimes. And as much as I would not want to fall back into that, and I still work with churches and all that stuff, but I know me and I know that I would feel better on Sundays with large attendance than I would with small attendance. And and I, and I don't think I can at, at this point, you know, I'm 42. Like, I don't feel like I can get out of that. I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm mature enough to be able to get out of that. It's like I, I still see it in me, and I'm like, I just need to stay away from that for a bit. If the Lord changes it, well, and, and it's more complex, I think, to pastor than at any point in my lifetime. And I yeah. have tremendous respect for the guys who are still down in it, in the trenches, yep, doing the hard work of trying to love people and be faithful to God's word and not compromise in the culture sure. and still be loving and all of that. Right. Yep. And I think one of the other things I notice is I think to really be a godly pastor these days takes a tremendous amount of courage. A hundred percent. You're not only just swimming upstream with the culture, but even some of the church culture that has gotten so mean spirited and ugly and yeah. vicious and stuff like to, to walk like Jesus did, to not compromise, in, but also to walk with grace yeah. and love people. I know I can't do that unless my soul is in a good place. Yeah. And I have stuff in the tank to draw on. I can't live that way. So yeah. those pastors who are figuring that out, man, God bless you and thank yeah. you for staying in the game. I, I'm grateful. Yeah. I, uh, you and I were talking about a church I work for out in California named Cottonwood and I've, I get to preach out there quite a bit and pastor Bayless, who's the founding pastor of the church is 40 years old. I would stand up, you know, on Sundays and I would be like, man, there's not a lot of churches like Cottonwood. I'm so proud of you guys, the way you love the Lord. And like, you know, I'm just trying to make the church feel good. Well, pastor Bayless and I were fishing on a boat and I said, pastor Bayless, I said, any advice you have for me? I said, you've been in ministry forever. I really look up to you. He says, yeah. He said, there's something you always say at our church when you preach. He said, you always say how there's not a lot of other churches like this, and this is unique and what God's doing here. He goes, stop saying that. He said, there's a lot of great churches in the kingdom. He said, you don't, you just don't know about them. And I just went, yeah. yes, sir. And put my head down, <laughs> you know, like, yes, sir. I apologize. So good. <laughs> so, so, good. So, good. so for all of our listeners, um, what is one thing that you have done that we should all do in your leadership journey and life that you say, man, this is one thing that if I could do it all over again, I would do this, whatever that is for you. Um, two things come to my mind. Okay. One's more obvious. I think I would say tenaciously pursue the practice of Sabbath. Okay. And, and, and I think what you will discover if you will really make this part of your life rhythm is that it is way beyond just a good idea to replenish your life and be rested up for what's coming next, that God does something deep in your soul in the formation of your being 
by having a rhythm where you stop, where it's not about being productive, where you don't have to accomplish anything. And you realize that you're just as loved on Sabbath when you're doing nothing as when you're producing. Yeah. Like that's, that's been a, a huge journey. Why, and why do you think so many people have problems with it? Like uh, it's, I, I mean, even one, me, I have a, I have a problem at times, yeah, I you think, know, I think one, I think there's several reasons. I think one of them is we're just such a doing culture yeah. that the idea of actually stopping to rest and having a day that is a break, it's like, it's just a challenge. And a lot of, uh, you know, leaders like us, we were type a we're driven and, and there's a, a godly noble side to this fire in our belly that God mm-hmm. has given us called ambition, but it can become counterproductive then when it, when it comes to Sabbath. I think another thing is, I think some of us think Sabbath means completely passive. Like we're sitting in a recliner all That's day good. Yeah. or it's a spa day. And I would go, no, Sabbath is just about not doing the stuff that feels like work and is draining. And actually you should do some very life-giving things on Sabbath. Now my wife challenged me, she goes, Yes, I realize you can be active, but it still should be a day that feels restful. Yeah. And I go, that's a that's a fair point. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I just sit in my recliner because that that's that's not relaxing or refreshing to me. Yeah. Now I also had to realize that one reason a lot of people hate is the same reason I hated it coming out of Saddleback is because even when I tried to slow down externally, I didn't know how to slow down internally. So 100%. my RPMs were still redlining even if I was trying to slow down on the outside and it took years for me to get to this place where I felt unhurried and relaxed in my soul that matched what I was trying to do on the outside. Was there anything that helped you kind of learn to slow down a little bit that you used or that, or is it just a process of kind of continually yeah, walking think, it out? Yeah. I think first off, the first thing is, get it on your calendar and commit to it with your family. Um, and then I've, I've slot like uh, managing my technology would be a huge thing for me okay. with my Sabbath, like putting aside, you know, the stuff that I tend to get sucked into and becomes mm-hmm. like a, a rabbit hole for me. Um, you know, I think lighting a candle at the beginning of the day has been a, a good thing for me because it's the reminder all day that this day is different than the others. I can slow down. I don't have to, you know, um, be stressed out about my to-do list or whatever. Like just, just having something that is a bit of a symbol to remind you that um, this day is different than the rest. That's I, I, the technology piece, man, is something that I just told my wife um, a few days ago, I actually just had to start plugging my phone in at night across the room. Because otherwise, the first thing I would do at, at night, I would look at emails. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd look at emails. And then when I'm, you know, I usually spend time with the Lord in the morning. And so all it would take is one email to totally derail any time with the Lord. And, and then I'd be like, he understands. You know what I mean? And then go do something else. So, yeah, you know, I, I just paid my adult kids and their spouses and my wife each $50 each to read a book called Stolen Focus. Okay. And and as long as they would buy the book, I want them to have a little skin in the game, and then we could talk about it as a family. Um, but it's been 
I love it's a it's an amazing book, and I would just encourage anybody I know to like pick it up. Really take the time to process it. Have you? Is that something you typically do with your family? You're like, hey, we're going to read this book together. Uh, we do that maybe a time or two a okay. year. Um, or yeah, we'll you know even a an article or a podcast or something. We'll send it out to each other and like, hey, everybody listen to this. And then we're trying to do our family dinners on Sunday nights at least okay. twice a month with kids and grandkids. And okay. So that'll be a time to have those conversations. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. That's a good. I'm actually trying to read two books with my children right now. Um, my 15 year old daughter, she's really into it. My 19 year old son, not so much. Uh, yeah. you know. um, so, you know, we'll we've talked, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, but I'm like, we're going to read John Eldridge. I'm going to make you a man. You're going to learn how to live out in the woods. Um, but you know, we've talked a lot about you know leadership and kind of the culture. What would you say is one of the greatest leadership lessons that you've learned? I mean, you've sat up under some great leaders and been a part of some, some amazing ministries. What would you say one of the greatest leadership lessons is for you? Uh, I'd say one of the ones that I use a lot is actually one I learned in my time with Rick Warren. And it is to learn to separate decision-making from problem-solving. Okay. Can you explain and, that? Yeah. So I think a lot of times when we're faced with a challenge or an obstacle, we try the how we're going to get there or the problems we have to overcome to get there, get in the way of actually just making the right decision. And so to step back and say, okay, what's the right decision, the right leadership decision for this moment? Then we, once we get clear about that, we'll step uh, back good. and figure out how we're going to actually get to that place. But we need to define the destination and then we can build the road. Man, that's awesome. But I get the pro, I let the barriers in the road keep me from ever getting to the right decision. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really, that's really good. Um, so one of the things that, you know, we, you know, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand before we started recording in our private conversations. Um, one of the things that is out so much in the world right now, um, I call it failure porn. Um, it's all these ministers falling and, you know, there's a news story every other day or an Instagram or a post or someone's taking pop shots at somebody else on social media or, you know, there's so many websites out there right now too that are just digging up dirt and just looking to discredit men in ministry and women in ministry. Um, how 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 do we protect our hearts from that? Because it can make you jaded. And yeah, how, sure. how how have you in working with pastors and the things that you've seen over the years? How have you really protected your heart um, in those type of situations and the stuff that you see? Yeah. I think a couple of thoughts come to my mind. I think one of them is why do I why do I feel a need to be drawn to that? Why is it that I am so enamored and just feed on that kind of stuff all the time? Like what's really behind that? Yeah. Um I again it's some of that hard internal work of exposing the darkness of your own soul and some mm -hmm. of the things in you that aren't very sanctified. Um, and then I think for me, it's a lot like I, I, I use examples of that to go one, what we're doing has a lot at stake. And so the issue of personal holiness 
Yeah. Is something we don't talk about in the church very much. We tend to so much focus on vision and strategy and leadership and stuff. And yet I go, I challenge you like to go look at scripture because in the Bible, there's a lot more that's about personal holiness than about strategy. Yeah. And so I think for us to, to really just kind of like go back to, is my life pure? Am I actually living the way that God wants me to is really important. Yeah. Okay. Um, what would you say next question? Uh, if you could do it all over again, what would you do different? And I know we've talked about your marriage and and all that and, and, you know, redlining in the days. Is there anything else that, you know, is the pastors listening that you could be like, I did this, do not do this. (laughs) I think what I would do differently has a lot to do with this issue of ambition. Yeah. And I would try to really practically walk out humility Because the truth is, Josh, there were a lot of times when, man, I was posturing in a conversation, I would manipulate things to come back to what I wanted to share. Or when something good happened at my church, I was always anxious to kind of get it out there in front of everybody and compare myself to other pastors. And and I, I just think about when James talks about wherever there is envy and selfish ambition, he said, just mark it down. There will be disorder and every kind of evil. Yeah, And I think when history is written, that maybe the great sin of pastors in our generation was the sin of, of unhealthy ambition. Now, yeah. we're all really smart leaders, and we know how to cloak it in God talk where it sounds spiritual, and we you know say it's vision from God. But the truth is, a lot of my vision underneath it was really this need to be seen as a success, to be known. Mm-hmm. And I just think we have to constantly let God expose what's really unhealthy there. And yeah. I just wish as a early, early on as a young pastor, I would have seen what that's going to cost me in terms of the health of my own soul. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I remember um, right after we had planted our church and, we were having, you know, some success by certain standards. And I found myself being in conversations with older pastors that I looked up to, and I would somehow figure out a way to navigate the conversation back to the success that we were having. And I was doing it. I mean, honestly, I can remember who I was standing with and I was, and I was starting to do that. I was starting to navigate the conversation so that they would be like, Oh, tell me about what's happening at your church. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, really stopped me and was like, why do you need this? Like, yeah. what, what is inside of you that is driving uh, this need for like them to think that you are something or to look at you a certain way? And really, you know, it, those are the moments I always say that they're like, they're, they're painful and beautiful at the same time. They're painful because the Lord like you know, the Holy Spirit kind of smokes you a little bit and you got to deal with it, but it's beautiful because the Lord say, man, you're, you're searching for something that's never going to fulfill you. And if they say something about you, you're going to do the same thing. So I le- legitimately made a decision that I would not have those types of conversations anymore with, with pastors. I would just stand there and talk to them and never figure out a way to navigate a conversation. And uh, it's so weird because it's like a subconscious thing you do. 
at the same time. You know what I mean? And I think that's one of the things that I've noticed in myself is so much of the things think, that. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, sorry. I think if, if as pastors, the vibe that we could, could emanate from us would not be here. I am, but yeah. there you are, you know, yep. that like others present with others interested in others. Uh, you know, I think we could just have a lot healthier ministry. Yeah. So I agree. So one of the questions that I like to ask kind of, as we end is, um, I have a couple more podcasts coming up for the next person on the podcast, um, who I won't tell you who it is. Uh, what's one question that you would like to ask them? Hmm. Uh, I always like to ask the, Hey, if you could go back to your 25 year old self, what, what would you, if you could sit down and have a coffee, coffee with your 25 year old self, what, what would you say to them? Okay. That's a good one. I would just punch mine like directly in the, <laughs> just hey, directly in the, yeah. Just talk less, talk less, whatever you think you're going to do, just say less of it. You know? Um, so, and then, you know, kind of last question, Lance, any last piece of advice that you have for the pastors that are listening, the men, the women that are listening in the ministry world? Yeah, I, I would say, man, just um, become a student of your own life and your own soul. Um, understand your rhythms and your wirings and not just in terms of your gifting, but again, some of that deeper internal work around becoming the person that God intends you to be. Because I really believe that if you look at most churches' discipleship programs, they really are just behavior modification. Mm -hmm. Like if you'll stop doing all the crappy sinful stuff and you'll start doing all this God church stuff, you're going to be discipled. And, and, and while it's not wrong, it's just incomplete. And what it needs, I think, is this, like what's beneath the waterline of your life that God yeah. still does need to sanctify some of those broken places that if you could actually have breakthrough on those you would not just be a better leader, but you'd be a better husband, a better friend. You would actually just enjoy your life more if you could, you know, begin to get victory in some of those things. But I'll tell you this, you have to slow down enough to actually spend time thinking, reflecting, letting God speak to you and becoming more aware of what's going on beneath the yeah. surface. Yeah, that's really good, man. I, Lance, I, I appreciate you so much. And um, I just want to encourage everybody, listen, if you have not been to replenish.net, you need to go to replenish.net. Lance also has three books uh, that you can pick up there. You can pick them up on Amazon. Um, like I said, I've read Replenish. I'm getting ready to read it again. Um, and it's just an amazing book for those of us in ministry to kind of help keep bringing you back to the place of staying healthy, soul care, and um, taking time to allow the Lord to help you be who he's calling you to be. So, brother, I appreciate you so much. And thank you, thank you so much for doing this, man. And um, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you, buddy. So, appreciate thank you, buddy. you so much. Yes, sir. Carry each other.